Hey everybody, welcome to episode 73 of Making It. I'm Bob Claggett, here with Jimmy Dresden. Hello. Hello. It's been a week already. can't believe it. It has been. And, um, what's his name? Oh, David Picciuto. Hey, that's me. Hey, that's you. How you doing, Bob? I'm, I'm doing very well. Nice. Very well. Yeah. What's new? Still trying to play a little, little bit of catch up. I don't know why, but I've, I've just been really tired over the past few days. And hmm. maybe I, I, don't, I don't have a good excuse for why I'm so tired, except uh, I'm, I'm getting old and I'm still recovering from the, the long trip. But I've been <laughs> working on... Um, what trip? <laughs> that seems so long ago, right? Oh my God, it seems ago. like a year ago. <laughs> uh, I'm working on the uh, stereo cabinet. And I am definitely not going to have that done in time. So I think I'm going to try to do a, a quick one-day build and film project tomorrow morning. Uh, we'll see. I, I have an idea, and I think it's going to be photography-based. And uh, so if uh, if you don't see a video by the time this comes out, that means I didn't get either one done. And if you do, <laughs> it means I got the quick one-day build and film done. Nice. I did one of those the other day, which was pretty cool. Like I, I don't usually my projects are shoot shot over several days, and it was really cool to like just start in the morning, be completely done. All the shooting was done by the afternoon. Nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had that with my uh, my couch drink holder. That was I was all filmed and and edited all in the same day, and that was it was really nice. It allowed me to catch up with the other part of the business, which is emails and web maintenance and social medias. I, uh, I've been working on my chicken coop. I got my chicken coop done, thankfully, uh, aside from some finishing touches like the nesting boxes and stuff. Oops, someone's at the door. Aside from the nesting boxes, uh, the chicken coop itself is done, the enclosure is done, and the video is done. And Taylor helped me out considerably, although she's not in the video a lot, but she did help me out. So her and I did the voiceover together. That's going to be my core video, which will be out by the time this is out. So, oh, nice. Yeah, it's cool that cool. her and I did the uh, voiceover together. And, um, I am now, I just finally finished my ice picks. So this Friday, by this Friday, they will be in the mail. And uh, my last batch took a little bit, took like six weeks. And that's only because I traveled so much. And I'm already starting on the next batch, which hasn't been sold yet. So that's moving along pretty quickly. And um, I have to start figuring out what my next couple of videos are going to be. But uh, as far as a one-day build, you guys saw my airplane. Did we talk about that last week? It's already been, seems like... A minute ago, but that was just a few hours. So that was another quick build. Talking about it, like a fast, quick build, and so that was fun to be able to get that in and out so fast. So that's it. Now uh, I'm just back to working on the kindergarten stuff. I have a lot more stuff on that to do list, so I'm working on that today. I'll probably get one more video, um, at least in the in the immediate future. I'm going to be making the teacher's table. It's going to have locking hmm. drawers and pre-finished plywood. Cool. When's um, when's Taylor going to start making her own videos? Uh, we channel. keep talking about it. we keep talking about it and it's I know. definitely coming. When's it gonna happen? <laughs> <laughs> I said the next the next July eighteenth will be her first video. <laughs> no, the next start to finish build that she's gonna do uh, is gonna be, and she's just got a couple new orders. She's finishing up the hotel order, which she had actually fabricated quite a bit of it at another shop. So they they did all the frames. So that wouldn't have been a great video to shoot, but she's working pretty hard on putting the leather and the patina on all that stuff. So she just got a couple of orders in the last couple of days. So those few chairs will probably film start to finish. And the um, I have to go back in and tweak the video that I have half done for her. It's already done, but I have to go back in and tweak it because we have some new branding things we have to be committed to. So I got to go in and just check and make sure that, you know, I'm not uh, making anybody upset. And everybody that sells advertising knows what I'm talking about because that video is from a long time ago. Hmm. So I got to go in and just tweak and make sure that uh, it's above board. And then I also have to put an ending in it, which it hasn't had. So that's going to be her first video is that one we already have in the can. Nice. Oh, cool. Is she going to do like a voiceover style or has she figured it out yet? Or um, You know, her style, she wants it to be clean and, and absolutely sterile environment, which is not what I have. So she's got to work on a little bit before she really gets into her stride. So, but now she's just, she just understands that she just needs to really get her stuff out there on camera. So ultimately her style will be like a sterile environment with like white seamless and stuff like that. And we, we just don't have the room for that right now. Mm-hmm. So eventually we will, you know, if everything works out as planned. 
So um, right now she knows that she just needs to get started because you guys are there. We walked around Make a Fair together. Everybody was asking her, when is your channel going up? And she kept hmm. smiling and saying, soon. But now she sees the, <laughs> the fans' reaction and and they're, they're into it. And in fact, her and I just shot a video over the weekend. I haven't edited it yet. Um, but it's her and I walking around talking about the house. And that's for a, a, a pitch that somebody's curious about. I don't put much faith in these pitches. But if that video comes out funny and interesting, I'll, I'll probably posted on my patreon page or something nice yeah. awesome well i've been uh kind of doing lots of new stuff this week actually i got to fly my drone yesterday for the first time which took almost a week for me to to, to have time to do which is kind of weird um but it it's awesome like i can immediately see how it would be useful and how much fun it's going to be to fly and how somebody could want to fly it all the time because it's pretty cool I, you know, it's the only one I've ever flown, so I don't have a frame of reference for how difficult other ones are to fly. But this one is super easy. Like, you let your hands off the controls, and it just stops where it is, and it corrects for wind, and it, you know... Like, it was a really windy day, so I was a little worried that maybe this is not a great idea. Um, and it was... It flew great, and could hold its position even with the wind blowing against it and stuff. It was really impressive, so... That's cool. It was cool. And I, I flew in a church uh, parking lot. Well, not a parking lot. They have a field next to the church. It's in our neighborhood. And so I went to to fly there. And there was one car in the parking lot. So I thought, nobody's here. I won't be bothering anybody. I'll just go fly in this big field safe enough. And uh, I'm like, getting. I got it out and getting it all set up. And the pastor walks out of the church and comes around the corner and surprised me. And uh, I was like, oh, is it okay if I if I fly here? And he's like, oh, yeah, just do whatever you want to. It's, it's perfectly fine. Do you make videos on the internet? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, no. uh, yeah, I do. Why? And he was like, oh, my kids watch your videos. And we knew you were in the neighborhood. And it was so, it knocked me on my feet. I was like, what? oh, I thought he was going to complain to you. Oh, that's great. <laughs> no, he was like, he was like, no, anytime you need to use the field, we have a playground over here. You can shoot stuff. We have a lot of room inside. Anytime you need to shoot anything, go for oh, it. <laughs> I didn't expect it to go that way. That's really nice. Yeah. No, he was super cool. Super cool. But nice. it really caught me off guard, you know. Um, but anyway, so yeah, that was new. And then we got a new dog, which is oh, yeah. new. Um, so we've been thinking, we had to put our, put down my other dog. Well, we had we had two. Um, we had to put down Hammer in October. And so we've had one since. And we keep thinking about getting a puppy because the kids are young. And, you know, just like, I don't know. I don't want to go through the puppy thing again. And the other day, a friend of mine, she delivers packages, uh, like special packages for the mail service. And she was driving around, and she saw this dog running down the road, and another truck was trying to hit the dog. So she pulls over. Yeah, which is crazy to me. But That's bizarre. So they were, like, chasing it, I guess. It was in the way or something. I don't know. <clears throat> so she pulls over, yells at the people. They drive off and calls the dog over. Dog runs up to her, jumps right in the truck, lays down on the seat, goes to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> and she already has two dogs, so she, you know, on Facebook sends out this picture of this super cute dog. He's like, anybody want a dog? And tags me and my wife because she knew that we were thinking uh. about it. And uh, so I said, yeah, bring him over. So as soon as he comes over, she carries him into the backyard, puts him down, and he runs right to me and just, like, cuddles up. And mm. he's pretty much been by my side the, since then. <laughs> he's, he's an awesome little dog. He's a – we think he's a pit mix of some sort. He's, like, pit and maybe Doberman or maybe He's Lab. pretty. I saw him online. Oh, he's beautiful. He's gorgeous and super sweet. Really gentle. You guys, you, you remind me of a funny story. Do you know what his name is? No, we still haven't decided on his name. Because check this out. Try this with him. He's already okay. a grown dog, right? No, he's he's a puppy. He's probably three or four months old. Oh, so do you think he has a name already that he could be accustomed to? I mean, maybe. Probably. He seems to be like really sociable. So I think he was with someone somewhere. But he doesn't have a chip. Uh, last summer, Taylor and I were driving in the country and there was this beautiful German shepherd, very old. You could tell she's very old. And Taylor was worried about us. So she gets her in the car with us and we drive her home. And Taylor's trying to call everybody in the area. We were just about four miles from our house. And so while the dog spent a few days with us, I guessed the dog's name. I figured it out by just making sounds and just watching the dog's reaction. I was going, I was saying every single sound. Just like making noises and and just trying to get the dog's reaction. And I, I swear to God, I said her name is Abby. 
And that's what I said, because huh. that's the name she, I would say, at, but at the time I, like, I just judged a reaction based on sounds I was making and I kind of whittled it down to Abby and she came to me every time. Like if her name is an Abby, it works for her, right? If wow. she ends up being our dog. She, Taylor went back to that intersection like five times and finally found the, this was over the course of a long holiday weekend. It might've been July 4th last year. And Taylor finally found the owner of the dog and he goes, oh, Abby. And the dog jumps out of the car and runs up the, sh- Taylor couldn't believe it. I figured out what the dog's wow. name was. I wasn't obviously positive, but the dog was reacting to that name. So I was like, oh, that must be the dog's name. Or at least it sounds like that. So wow. if anybody ever finds a stray dog, see if you can guess the dog's name. It was just my own I, little personal challenge over the weekend and it worked. You know, I'd love to see a video of you trying to figure <laughs> that name out. Because it would be awesome. Uh, uh, like a 10 minute video everybody. of you going, <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what I was doing. Or you might trigger the, uh, the attack word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She was an old girl. She was, she had to be 10 years old. Maybe, I mean, I don't know if German Shepherds lived that long, but she was towards the end of her life. Very overweight, very sweet and very slow. So I wasn't worried about that. <laughs> but I couldn't believe yeah, that. I, like I, I said, I go, that's her name. My friends were like, will you shut up? Because I was just doing exactly what you described. <laughs> I was doing it in spurts. Like I'd come back every half hour and I'd try and a bunch of different sounds. Huh. I'll have to give that a shot. Yeah, we're, we're trying to decide on a name. I put it on Facebook asking people what they thought and got a huge, huge <laughs> of number of responses. <laughs> but yeah. uh, lots of Durestas and Pachudos. How about like pass, the, pass the Drone? Pass the Drone. Pass the- <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's a cool name. Fa- Father Drone. Be a good name. <laughs> drone. It's funny. I was going to say, uh, a related story, as soon as we got back from Maker Fair, I was home no more than 10 minutes and I had to take my dog to the animal hospital because he was just in so much pain. He greeted me normal and I uh, was jumping up and then all of a sudden just like yipe, 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 yipe. And he's a, he's a wiener dog, so they tend to get bad backs. And we, we went to the animal hospital and, and they, they gave him um, a steroid shot. And then the next day we went to the regular vet and they gave him, they, they stapled a patch on his side. This I saw that. I saw like that the, on the yeah, Snapchat. And yeah, it distributes medicine for five days. And there's four staples in there. Well, he took it out on day four. It was supposed to be in there for five days. So uh, he actually saved me a trip to the, to the vet. Uh, to get that removed so he saved me a couple bucks but he's got another chiropractic yeah good dog we got another chiropractic treatment on thursday um and then but because of all this i had to i i had to put everything on hold and build rebuild the the ramp to our backyard and i didn't film it i was going to film it i watched it though it was on snapchat it was on snapchat yeah and uh, it just needed to be done, like, right then and there. I didn't want to set up a camera and, and, and worry about it. And uh, it works. And he, he likes it and he uses it. So that's, that's nice. Well, didn't you say in the, in the snap that you might end up rebuilding it if it worked, if that construction worked? Yes, because it's not the prettiest build. Um, yeah. Basically, I took the old ramp <clears throat> apart and used all the pieces for that to build a new one. So instead of like the boards for the steps going all the way across, it takes like it takes like two boards to equal like one one step, and then it's covered. I stapled like an outdoor carpet to it, and um, Kelly's like, "Oh no, you don't need to rebuild it. It's fine." But hmm. we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. If I I just don't want other. Um, people coming over and then judging my my crappy work <laughs> and that's why i want to rebuild it your your living is on the internet you get judged all the time just, i know uh, i know yeah I know. just give in to it yep so the the dog thing uh got me thinking about this earlier today and i don't think this is like a full topic but so you guys both have animals jimmy you have your animals in the shop with you a lot or around tools a lot sometimes yeah and I've been thinking about, like, I've always kind of wanted to have a shop dog, even though there's not really room in my shop. But this dog is a puppy still, kind of. But I want him to, like, be the dog that's by my side all the time. You know, we'll do the training and all that stuff. <clears throat> but it got me thinking about having him in the shop. And, like, you guys have any ideas or suggestions about acclimating a dog to that environment? You know, to, to teaching him... I guess the teaching part of like safety is kind of the same as the normal dog training, but you know, I've just, I've never had a dog with me around big tools. Do you have any thoughts there? Or I guess or anything? I would say, I would say it's just the, the, the sound you need to get them accustomed to just loud, sudden noises. For instance, mm-hmm. I 
Taylor actually wanted to, because upstate where we are, occasionally you hear gunshots because there's hunters around. And so sometimes you hear the loud banging in a property near me, somebody's always shooting. I, I shoot once in a while, but if I did, I make sure Bear was in the house and none of the animals were around. But Taylor actually said, you know, let's, let's get out one of like the 22 rifle and get Bear accustomed to the sound. So we actually did some training with him to get him accustomed to the bang sound and to get him to realize that it's not something he needs to run away from. And, uh, you know, that he, he, he could hear it and not react to it. And hmm. he still reacts a little bit to thunder. We had some thunder over the weekend. And when the thunder goes off, he like gets nervous and doesn't know where to go. But, uh, Taylor did some specific training with him to get him accustomed to that loud noise. And I'm not saying you need to shoot a gun, but the same thing is like put him near the table saw, turn the table saw on and off and let him know that it's okay. And that it's not yeah. something to be scared of. So right. that's been my experience. And, and, the, the dogs and the cats don't seem to care at all about the, you know, I work upstate a lot and that's when I, I run some of the machines and they're always hanging out in the garage with me or, and no one seems to ever react, you know, in a hmm. negative way. I guess there's a confidence to being around you, you know, and they know that if you're there mm-hmm. and you've spent enough time with them, they're confident and they feel safe and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's something I'm going to have to figure out because he is like young enough that now's the time to, you know, acclimate him and train him to those things. And I want mm-hmm. him to be the dog that, and he already kind of is like in between my feet, you know, right next to me all the time. And I want to keep that up. So. Yeah. But. And Lucky's totally deaf. So Lucky doesn't care what noise is made anywhere. He doesn't care. So. Hmm. Not that, you know, you cool. need to train your dog to be deaf, but it's something that I, I only worry about. <laughs> <laughs> can can you train an animal to be deaf? <laughs> well, you know, you could train them emotionally to not care about the noise. And, and that's what we did <laughs> yeah. with Bear. Yeah. And it worked. He seems to be okay with it. You know, the first couple of times he would hear gunshots as a puppy, he would run. And we, we never wanted them to run like into the street or just run anywhere, you know? So that's the main reason why we get him off of that. So he wouldn't like get scared and react and run away from the house. A couple a couple uh, summers ago, Taylor and I were driving in upstate New York on July 4th weekend, another July 4th weekend. Uh, this is many years before, like when we first met and we found a dog and, it, and the dog was just walking down the street covered with mud. She had been like stuck in the swamp. It was a big giant poodle. And she turned out to be a really beautiful dog and we cleaned her. We gave her a bath. She was covered with mud. She was obviously in the swamp and we brought her around and everybody said she must've been a dog that ran away from fireworks because we couldn't figure, she didn't have a tag mm-hmm. on, but she was a beautifully well behaved dog and we cleaned her up. We brought her around. We, we put up notes. We couldn't keep her because logistically we were going out of town and stuff. And so we left her with a dog groomer in the neighborhood. And the dog groomer kept us uh, informed for a few weeks and to the point where she just said, I, I, I can't keep her. I have to adopt her out. And so they adopted her out. But uh, everybody assumed that it could have been like a July 4th dog that ran away from a picnic. But everywhere we tried to, we put notes in, you know, all around the town and nobody responded to any of the found dog notes. So, hmm. yep. Yeah. Uh, my old roommate had a, a big dog who was kind of always by his side. But one July 4th, she took off as well. And when they get spooked, man, I mean, they'll just go and keep going and keep going. So yeah, in fact, that's why she could have been. Yeah, she could have been from anywhere. I know that. That's why Taylor wanted to do the gun thing, just because you know we didn't have we don't have fireworks, but it was to get Bear used to like the summer fireworks. That was specifically why. I just remembered that. Hmm. There's a show on Netflix called Caesar Nine One One. Caesar Milan, he the the dog whisperer, Hmm. and. most of the episodes are behavioral issues, but you could probably apply some of the techniques that he's using on the show, which is I find entertaining and, and pretty good to uh, training your dog to um, hmm. react or not react to certain situations. Yeah, I this dog is is a little bit nippy because he's a still puppy and he's t- you know trying out his teeth and stuff. And so I was looking up yesterday, like what are some good ways to work against that until we can start an actual training program because <clears throat> it's been. I don't know, 12 or 13 years since we've gone through like the dog training program stuff. So I don't remember all of it. And almost all of the first several, like the first page of results were his videos or his mm-hmm. articles or something. It was all like him, you know, recommendations. So, yeah. but it was some good stuff. So hopefully we'll get rid of the, the nippy thing, the chewy thing. Cause we have tons of toys around our house. <laughs> oh yeah. Disappear very quickly if he keeps at it. So. Yeah. Um, since we we're kind of talking about safety, um, we had some an email about safety. Do we do we need to read that email, or we just want to like talk through some safety stuff? You guys have uh, any I'll, I'll read it. Safety? Okay. 
I'll read the email and it'll get us started and then uh, this show can evolve from, from this. But uh, let's see, Mitchell Winter wrote, as someone with a woodworking shop, I'd like to get more into welding. My only concern is fire. How fireproof do you think a space should be for welding? Ever almost burned down your shop? And so I'm going to turn this over to Jimmy because he has the most experience with welding mm-hmm. and in your shop. So, Well, I mean, the one thing that I do is I weld and then Ryan, who works in my shop, Ryan's never really been exposed to the internet. Ryan's a good friend of mine. Actually, Ryan's in the chicken video. He's helping me put up the chicken wire. Um, Ryan welds quite a bit in my shop. He's an architectural, uh, he makes architectural elements. And Dave, of course, welds in my shop and Taylor. And so all four of us are welding a lot. And Anytime I weld, and I say it all the time, make sure there's a fire extinguisher near you because any of those little red hots could like bounce into a basket of wood and start the wood on fire. Everybody knows that. But what I try and do is I try and contain. If I'm going to weld, I try and even, even wood, I'll put up a couple of little panels of wood and you know the welders are probably punching their computers right now. But I put up a couple of panels of wood to contain those little red hots. They roll back onto the table. And uh, you notice in some of my welding videos, I put a piece of aluminum on the whole top of my table. And that also prevents those little red hots from burning into the table. It also helps me ground. I could ground the whole tabletop with this big 4 by 8 sheet of aluminum. That becomes sort of my grounded table. But there is a room in my shop that does not have much in it except for just concrete walls. And so I try and weld a lot in there when I can. Um, and that's when I'm doing big production jobs, which don't usually get videotaped. But my little welding area is pretty accustomed to being used a lot. And I try and keep anything fireproof or anything flammable away from there. And the one thing I noticed, the one thing that always catches on fire, this is so stupid, but is napkins from lunch. When people eat lunch hmm. and they leave napkins around, that's the one thing I like. If I'm welding, I immediately smell and like somebody just had like a chicken salad and a little spark fell onto that and started it on fire, you know, next to the napkins. So the one thing I do make sure is that there's no lunchtime napkins around because everybody always saves and they're like, Oh, maybe we'll save these. And you know, so this from the deli, there's a giant pile of napkins, which I always throw away, but that's one thing. And uh, toilet paper, I'm, I'm, I'm near the bathroom. So toilet paper will go up right away. So you got to really be careful of, of that. And one other thing that I always make sure that I said, no matter who's welded, you're not allowed to leave the shop for an hour after you're done welding. You have to hang out for an hour, even two, three hours. Um, so if you have a job to weld, weld it in the beginning of the day. So for the rest of the day, you're hanging out and making sure nothing is smoldering. Hmm. I mean, good, yeah. I just awesome wish I didn't tips. have to weld in that shop. Honestly, uh, I wish I didn't have to weld in that shop at all. And and now more and more I'm welding upstate. So, uh, you know, in the open grass, which is really what I should be doing. What so, about yeah. fumes? Fumes. I just got a fume extractor from Lincoln. Uh, I actually just, I, I did a deal with Lincoln. Uh, you know, this is sort of a soft announcement. I did a deal with Lincoln, so I'll be working with their equipment and uh, promoting some of their machines. But uh, Lincoln gave me a fume extractor, which works fantastic. But uh, sometimes I'll work with a cross ventilation. I'll have a fan blowing on me, but you got to be careful too, because the fan will blow away your shielding. If you have an aggressive fan on you, it'll blow your shielding so you won't get a good weld. So you got to kind of tip the fan up so it's not blowing directly on what you're doing. So I'll have a fan blowing across what I'm working on. So it blows the fumes towards the vent. So I do that sometimes too. You know, this is, this is, you know, working in a small shop in the city, which, uh, you know, it's, it's not the optimum thing. It's not, I, sh- I really shouldn't be doing it. And I know that. So I'm, I'm doing uh, the best I can. And uh, like I said, no matter what, no matter what's going on, I get my, my machine set up, my tools set up and my fire extinguisher set up. Anytime I do something, I always have a bunch of fire extinguishers and there's a few loose ones. That always go near where I'm working. Like when I saw it on my ice picks, I always have a fire extinguisher right near me. So Yeah, the, the fire extinguisher is a, a necessity. I think anybody who has a shop of any kind, welding or not, yeah. should have a fire extinguisher because sawdust, you know, a, a big chunk of <clears throat> excuse me, a big chunk of wood is probably not gonna go up in flames. No, it's right the small away. stuff. It's the small stuff, it's the piles of sawdust that are inside tools, it's things like that. So if you were running your table saw and it has sawdust on the inside, and for some odd reason, something sparks on the inside of that, and a spark falls down into your dust collection area full of sawdust, yeah, it, it will be up in no time. It has something you can't foresee either. You know, so yeah. everybody needs to have a fire extinguisher within a few feet of you, I think. Yeah. And something that's related to that that I wanted to add is if you use your bandsaw for wood and metal, and you're changing that blade out for a metal blade, also suck out all the sawdust that gets trapped yeah. around the wheels because you don't want yeah. those sparks to get in that sawdust. No, absolutely. Ooh. One time I was, uh, I have a, I, I don't use it too much because it creates too much sawdust in my little space, but I have a, a stand up Delta 
disc sander, 12 inch disc sander with a, with like a, you know, four, a seven or eight inch wide belt on it, you know, big belt sander. And I don't use it that much, but when I had it in my old shop, I was sanding wood and then I'd go back and I'd sand metal. And one, my, I used to have this giant shop before I was ever on TV or anything. It was like, it was like the fantasy shop, but that's long gone in the past. And so my brother from the mezzanine, it was a big giant shop with a mezzanine. It used to be a truck mechanic. So from the mezzanine, my brother's office, he looked down, he said, the sander is on fire. And I turned around and the sander was engulfed in flames. All the sawdust in it had become a big giant fireball. And the flames were like 10 feet high coming out of the sander. And we had a really high ceiling. And I turned around and with the fire extinguisher, I just went, the fire was out in one minute. But turning around and seeing these giant flames from where I had just been sanding and I I ground a nail and a piece of wood, it caught up literally. Like I turned around and walked back towards my table and my brother saw it from the office and yelled downstairs and I put it out. So it happens Hmm. extremely fast. So when I'm cutting wood on the table saw and I see a giant welt of sparks come out because I hit a nail, Honestly, it hasn't happened since I've been using the saw stop because I'm much more conscientious about it. But whenever I use my old saw, the minute it happened, I turn the saw off, I dig into the cabinet, make sure that none of that sawdust is on fire. Because it could happen. It, it takes minutes for it to, like literally seconds for it to go on fire. Yeah. There's another thing that um, I think people forget about. <clears throat> there's a couple things that I think are, are easy to forget about that are can happen pretty easily. Um, there's a lot of other stuff in the shop that is flammable other than wood. Um, any container of a liquid that's a flammable liquid. So if you have, you know, paints or lacquers or any kind of a finishing product that is flammable, yeah. if you have that in a place where it's open there's and you're welding <laughs> in the shop, there's a pretty good chance those things are going to hit each other. So uh, a lot of people have paint cabinets that are, you know, a metal cabinet specifically yeah. made to put all your paints in. To, you I have a giant... I have a giant paint cabinet that I got at the School of Visual Arts. Whenever they decide to change things over, everything just gets thrown away. And the guys know me, and they know I'm a scavenger. So my my guy Tommy said to me one day, he goes, hey, you want this? And he brought me downstairs. Beautiful, giant, flammable cabinet from Uline. Probably, and I looked online. It was $4,000. They just threw it in the street. Whoa. And uh, Tommy held it for me. I went back. I got two flammable storage cabinets, you know, uh, flame-proof storage cabinets that they were going to mm. just throw away. So now I, you know, it's, it's anything flammable goes in there. Spray cans, paint thinner, everything goes in there. I don't have uh, the, the flammable cabinet myself. It's something that I want to get. They're really expensive. So mm. in the meantime, I'm just being careful. I don't tend to have sparks in my wood shop. I do my welding or that one time I did welding in my garage. And I want to make an area in my garage that's just for that stuff and I don't know if you guys have any experience with this, but I see that Harbor Freight sells like the the, um, the flame proof curtains that you can get, and so I'm going to put that up in the in the corner of my garage because it's all open open wood. Hmm. I don't know if you if you guys have any experience with yeah, those. Yeah, no, I would definitely curtains. say yeah, definitely, definitely get yeah. those. Yeah, uh, because they're they don't go on fire and they and they bounce. Uh, again, I mean, the, uh, people are going to be mad at me for even suggesting this, but. I, whenever I do, or well, me and Dave weld, we get some scrap wood and we create a corral so that those little red hots bounce off it and roll back onto the table. Um, especially when I'm grinding. That's another important thing. When people grind, they don't realize those sparks are flying 15 feet away. You got to really be careful. So grind into like, um, like if you've ever been to a gun range, I used to belong to a, a gun club when I was in high school and you'd shoot into a lead wall and the lead wall would force the bullets to go down into the dirt. So Create like a thing with just a couple pieces of scrap wood or scrap metal so that when you grind, it hits that and shoots back into the ground and collects. So those are little red hots, are little hot pieces of metal that fly around the shop. Do you want to contain those? Yeah. I don't have a, a paint cabinet either is what I was going to say. But in I don't have the floor space to, to get anything like that. Um, so my kind of temporary solution is I built a shelf up at the top that runs along one side of the shop. And it's, you know eight or 10 inches from the ceiling. And so all my paints and finishes and everything go up there. It's as far away as my, from my kids as it can possibly be in that space. And they're not in there anyway, but it's as high up as it can be, which makes it also as high up and far away from welding stuff as possible. So, you know, but getting that stuff contained or covered, like even putting some sort of a cover on that shelf on the front of it would be a good, 
deterrent from stopping anything from hitting yeah. it. So. Yeah, sparks could go anywhere. Like I said, people don't realize when you grind and when, you, when you're grinding like on a belt grinder and you see the sparks traveling around the belt, they're thrown in every direction, not only down, backwards, upwards. So yeah. it's important. You know, I see a lot of guys, if they do knife grinding videos, they'll have the sparks go into a little puddle of water, which is also good because it mm. keeps, the, it kind of contains the dust from floating up. That's a good idea. Yeah. So, um, another thing I do is anytime I weld, uh, so what I, what I, I keep my fire extinguisher, but I also keep, and I got it at Home Depot. They use it for watering plants. It's like a little pump bottle. So you fill it with water and you keep it pumped up. So there's a little pressure. So when you pull the trigger, water just squirts out. It's like a, it's like a super soaker water gun. It's always ready to, to release water yeah. as soon as you pull the trigger. So I always keep that around too. So that I use it for a couple of things. Obviously, if I'm welding next to wood and I, cause, what I do, and again, I'm not the most safest person in the world, I do a lot of wooden jigs for the things that I'm going to weld. So if I'm making repetitive welds or frames, I make a wooden jig. And I try and make that wooden jig so wherever I weld, it doesn't start on fire because I'll give it airspace, for instance. But occasionally, it, it'll catch on fire from the heat, and I just give it a little spritz with the spray bottle to put it right out. And that little spray bottle is, is also very is handy for you know just extinguishing quick little fires or, or just cooling off steel. If I weld and I want to cool it off, I spray it. You know, that, that, that's troll bait. There's going to be a lot of people going, but if you spray it, it'll crack. There's <laughs> certain various bloody blah, 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 blah. Everything's different. Oh. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, the, the blah, blahs. Yes. I, I <laughs> yeah. The bloody blahs are a big problem these days. Um, another thing I was thinking about with welding is um, actually just the light looking at it, right? We wear welding masks to keep our faces from melting, but also because looking at a weld is really bad for your eyes. Yeah. And so if you are welding in your house or in your, <laughs> I guess in your house, in my, in your garage, in my case, or, uh, anything, you know, where, where it's connected to the house and someone could walk out into the garage, if they're not aware that you're welding, they could walk out and their eyes could be hit with the stuff that they mm -hmm. shouldn't see. So yeah. you might want to find, and this is one of the problems I have because I, the, it would be better for me to weld outside. That would be safer, better ventilation, less chance of catching something on fire. But there's a bunch of kids in our neighborhood who are riding bikes by all the time. You know, do I? So how do I do that? I'll go out and weld with my back to the street to try to cover any of the dangerous stuff. Uh, when I weld in my shop, I try to keep my back to the door that leads into the house, so just in case someone were to open the door. Um, and I also have like an on-air light that I made a long time ago that I can turn on, which alerts people in the house not to come in my shop, like that I'm doing something dangerous or something quiet or whatever. Yeah. Um, but it's just something that, you know, take into consideration. If you're in your garage doing anything dangerous, people inside the house need to know not to come out. So, you know, keep that in mind when you're figuring out where to put stuff, make sure that you can block uh, the welder from the door or from the house, you know, with your back or... They they sell they sell uh, and I think you can probably get at home at, at Harbor Freight. They sell these big banners that are that protect you from so people could see what you're doing on the other side. But it's like a big it's a big uh, lens, for instance. It's a drape. I mean, but you can oh, drape yeah. your work, just totally drape your work with a complete opaque fireproof blanket, and people can't see what you're doing. So that's one way, you know, to kind of contain. And if you go into a big welding shop where they have room for these things, which I don't, you could have these they're like uh, garment racks but all it is is just a big wall just to contain the welders so if you see like at a welding school for instance on youtube you could look that up you see guys welding in sections but they they have this translucent wall but the translucent wall acts like a, a protective lens on your welding helmet really? yeah so you can kind of see what's going on but you, you're not being uh, subject to the intense light because huh. it's because it is shielded by the the drape the translucent yeah. drape or opaque one one or the other so I used to one time I was at bike week in uh, in Daytona, Florida, and I was sh shooting video of some people building bikes there. And so they were doing welding on stage with all these people watching and they were just like telling people, don't look at this. <laughs> we're going to weld, <laughs> which is kind of crazy. But I was able to you since I was shooting video of it, I was watching it through the camera, which was just enough protection for me not to be, you know, not to be burning my eyes and stuff because. The camera handles it differently than my eyes would. So, but the guy kept being like, you know, look away, look away. And I'm like, I'm looking through the viewfinder, man, or through the screen. Like, it's, it's fine. Was that, so were I you guess, at Bike Week 2006? You there when I was there? I think we talked about uh, this once. Yeah, I think we did talk about this. It might have been. 
I went a couple of times when we were doing websites for different bike builders, but yeah, it was before Billy Lane did his special trip. It was the year before Billy Lane was, was, uh, taken off of the scene for a little while. It was that yeah, one. It probably was. Yeah, that was 2006. Yeah. So, because I he remember guys I was, welding. I remember guys yeah, welding. He, he was the one I was shooting video of. Actually, he was on the Blood, Sweat, and Gears stage. Right, uh, and you were Paul Cox. That I think I was there, and it's so funny. My friend uh, uh, Jason Edwards was there. Do you know Jason Edwards? Oh yeah, yeah. Yep. That's so funny. You know Jason because Jason was the producer of my first TV show. He was working on the show with Billy, I think, at the same time. I did. I mean, I know who he was. He wouldn't yeah. know me or anything, but yeah. yeah. That's funny. It's funny. Small, Small world. world. <laughs> um, got any other safety stuff? Any anything come up lately? I think. Um, I mean, I I take safety very serious. I have dust collection on everything, and even with the best dust collection, dust still gets into the air. It's funny. You'll get the comments of like, "Looks like you have some crappy dust collection because you have dust on your tools." I'm like, "Well." It's a wood shop. Dust is going to yeah. get in the tools no matter what. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm always wearing a mask, um, eye protection. I should probably wear hearing protection a little bit more. Um, but um, it's what I, what I really want to say is you can watch all of us uh, and all the YouTube channels you want, but safety is really up to you. You need to understand the tools that you have and the situation that you're in before making that cut or that, that weld. Mm-hmm. And it's your responsibility to make sure that you are safe in your environment. And the people around you are safe. I mean, that's another it, consideration. Right. You know, If you're yeah. in a shop with other people, you really have to be considerate of, of what else other people are doing as far as like where they're around you, how what you're doing is going to affect them. And then if you're obviously, if you're in a house working in a garage, you have to think about your family, your neighbors, stuff like that too. But yeah, totally with you. Like responsibility is on the person doing the work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. No matter what. So yeah. Yep. Another, and, uh, and another, go ahead, Bob. Well, I was going to say, there's also, you know, you have to figure out as a person who makes anything with tools, you have to figure out, what your acceptable level of risk is. You know, there's there's certain things that all of us or any of us or anybody listening will do with a particular tool that would totally freak somebody else out and vice versa, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's because people have different levels of familiarity with the tools. They have different amount, different types of dexterity. Some people are really, really good with like fine motor stuff and can handle a lot of detail work with their fingers. Some people are just not that good at that thing. So you have to figure out for yourself where your level of risk is that you can accept that you can say like, it's okay for me to do this because I've, I've done it enough times or I'm comfortable here, but don't take somebody else's level of risk and apply it to you. Figure it out for yourself. I think that's, yeah, that's a great way to put it. Don't take somebody else's level of risk and think that you can do it. I mean, people are constantly telling me you make it look too easy. And uh, I, I've been doing it for so long. I, I make it look easy. And then, you know, I even had a discussion. I don't want to say exactly who, but, you know, somebody that uh, that sponsors me and uh, he, he openly admitted, he said, you know, I just thought you were dangerous for so long. I said, there's no way we're even going to approach this guy. He goes, but then as I started to really watch you, I started to realize you're safe in your own way because you're so used to being able to do these things. And he says it works for you and you have so much experience. So he legitimized, hmm. you know, working with me because at first him and, and I'm sure I don't get approached by a lot of tool companies and I'm sure it's because people don't consider me safe. And I really, you know, it's, it is what it is. I'm enjoying myself with or without them. So, but, um, (laughs) it's, you know, constantly like you, everybody on YouTube gets contacted by people. I get contacted by nobody (laughs) except for Lincoln (laughs) and a couple of other people. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I, I know you've told the story a couple of times before, but if you wouldn't mind repeating it, the story yeah. of the person that, that cut themselves um, the with boy. the cable saw or bandsaw and, and blamed you. Oh, so well, you yeah, it was, it was uh, one of my fans in Mexico. He, he wrote me, so we kind of had a broken English conversation, but um, he cut his fingers doing a box joint, cut his fingers pretty badly on the table saw, like with a box joint jig. And then I, I said, please describe what, what you did. He said, I did what you did. And he, he wasn't mad at me. He just wanted to kind of find out what he did wrong. And, uh, you know, I was sympathetic and we talked through it through email. And what he did was instead of having his box joint jig 
in the the guide holes on the tabletop, you know, the two, what are those slots called? Guide slots, whatever. Yeah. He, he did not have his jig on that. He had his jig working between the blade and the fence. Ooh. So he watched what I did and didn't do exactly what I did. And, you know, I assume, obviously, because my videos are going quickly, I assume that people do what I do and that's you stop it and you could look at it. So if I'm watching somebody do something, even if it's quick or slow and I want to see a detail, I stop the computer and I look at that still image to see exactly what's happening. Well, he kind of watched what I did and he just assumed he knew what I was doing and he, he made his jig work between the fence and the blade and the blade twisted and it binded and his jig shot out of the way and his hands hit the blade. He cut across his fing- one of his, fing- his hands across several of the fingertips. Uh, we haven't been in touch lately, but like I said, you know, it's, I'm doing things and I'm just assuming everybody understands that my, my box joint jig is, is in the guides on the tabletop. He didn't see that. He didn't realize that it wasn't. And my box joint jig was just freestanding. It wasn't near the fence. So when you watch the video, the fence isn't on the table saw, but he assumed mm. my box joint jig was working against the fence. So you got to be careful, you know, you, and uh, I talked, I had a long conversation today with somebody about this potential canoe I'm going to build. And he says, I am an absolute expert on, he said this funny thing, uh, he goes, I'm an absolute expert on canoes. Um, I'm probably the most experienced expert on canoes. And he said, that's based on the fact that I keep doing things wrong until I know how to do it right. He goes, and it's a joke. <laughs> and he was, he was leading up to the punchline, which is I've done it wrong so many times that I know exactly how to do it right now. So I am the world's leading expert on canoe building. It was a f- this new friend of mine. And nice. uh, so that was a funny way of saying, you know, as, as you get older and as you keep experimenting, you keep doing things wrong, but you figure out how to do them right. So this young man, whoever he is in the world, is definitely going to know the right way to use a box joint jig, I assume. I can only hopefully. assume. Yeah, hopefully. But yeah, you know, it's... Uh, safety is your personal responsibility. And, uh, you know, unfortunately... We watch other people do things and we think, oh, we could do that. I know I've been guilty of that. I, I, I mean, especially because uh, I don't know if this statistic is still true, but years ago, somebody told me that the most private airplane crashes happen because of doctors flying airplanes, because doctors are so skilled and so knowledgeable at what they do. They think they could do everything. So a doctor is so smart, can do open heart surgeries. I could fly a plane. I can do open heart surgery. I could fly a plane. So... I fall victim of that sometimes where I think like, oh, I've used a table saw for so long. I could use this chainsaw. And then all of a sudden it binds on me and just barely cuts, you know, just misses cutting my foot. So hmm. uh, I'm, I'm guilty of that. And so sometimes when I'm using a brand new machine, like for instance, when I, when I approach my bridge port, I was like, okay, there are certain things I can't do. Like I can't stop the quill with my hand. I can't, uh, you know, I can't uh, <laughs> Don't freestyle. Don't lick the bit. <laughs> <laughs> Don't put my face to the bit. Wear glasses. So these, I have to like stop and pause myself. Even when I'm using my big, my big lathe with the big giant chuck on it. That chuck is just a big giant spinning, spinning counterweight that, you know, and if, and if the jaws are outside the, the, the girth of that thing, those things will rip your finger off. So, you know, all these things I have to slow down and remind myself, okay, you know, I'm a hot shot with some stuff, but, you know, I could still seriously get hurt. So I have yeah. to constantly stop myself and remind myself. And that little anecdote, although it doesn't, you know, it's, it's just, it's a lateral application. It's not a direct application about how pilots or doctors that are pilots crash most often because they're arrogant. Hmm. And they think, of course, I could figure this out. I just saved somebody's life. You know, I just tied someone's aorta shut. I can fly this airplane. But then, right. when, you know, and then they don't realize they're flying with their, you know, they fly directly into the ocean because they can't see the horizon or whatever, you know, these simple yeah. mistakes. So you just got to be you said something. You said something that was interesting about, you know, stopping and thinking before you do it. And that's one thing that, and there's a lot of things I really like about my saw stop. But one of the things that's cool is there's two switches to it. And you have to flip on the first switch, and then it goes through this little blinking light sequence. Yeah, it reminds you that you're about to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and it's like, we're getting everything set up. Make sure you know what you're doing. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> so, that is a very unconscious you thing. You can't use the saw until it's like finished doing its little thing, which it's testing stuff, whatever. But that's an interesting idea that maybe we could figure out individually how to apply to yeah. your time in the shop. You know, like you go in and you have a, a process where you like go stand in a certain place and like, what am I about to do? You know, think through like, okay, am I here? Am I present? Am I paying attention to what I'm doing? You know, it'd be a good short thing for people to just kind of mm-hmm. step back before they actually start doing stuff and make sure. Cause yeah. it's easy to get in a hurry and just do something stupid. Yeah. Oh, 
that also, if you think about maybe what the worst case scenario is and what you would do in, in case something happens. So if you if something catches fire, think, okay, if something catches fire, my fire extinguisher is right here. I can mm. grab it and put it out. And then you don't panic because you already know what to do when that situ- situation happens. And you can act calm. Yeah. So, yeah. If a dragon attacks, my fire extinguisher is right there. Okay, worst case scenario. <laughs> then get on or, its back and know, fly away. <laughs> Jimmy, you could um, you could start selling safety posters like of your janky pinky um, that people could hang up in their shop. <laughs> Did you guys look, look what happened to me this morning? You see what that mm-hmm. red line is across the back of my thumbnail? Yes. What's the story with that? That's a bandsaw blade cut directly across the back of my thumbnail. Uh, I was making ice picks today, my second batch, which I haven't put for pre-sale this morning. Um, I was just cutting the blanks, passing them through the bandsaw. And I would try to pull a pile out from between the blade and the and the fence because I have my bandsaw fence on. And it got jumbled up. And just like I always say, the reason I get hurt on the bandsaw is because I force something and then it gives way. So I had a whole handful of like brass ice pick handles all jumbled up in my, my hand. And they were kind of stuck between the blade and the fence. And I kind of pulled and twisted them. And as I twisted them, my thumb jammed right into the blade. Ugh. The back of my thumbnail. Like, so right on the back of my thumbnail. It'll grow out. It was surprisingly not painful, I guess, because I just have a, a high threshold at the moment. But the minute it happened, I looked at it and I said, oh, man, that's going to hurt in about 10 seconds really bad. And I just waited for the pain to set in. And it really didn't. But, you know, the initial shock of it happening, I guess my adrenaline just kind of pushed it away. But yeah. it's not you bad. Know- it's not bad. We get comfortable with the experience, and yeah. sometimes we just need that reminder. You know, when you're driving in a car and you have that that near miss, that near accident, and then you drive super safe for the mm-hmm. next, you know, ten four minutes weeks or so <laughs> <laughs> for the next ten minutes. Yeah, um, but it doesn't matter your experience level. Something can still happen at any time, and that's yeah. You know, how long have you been using a bandsaw, Jimmy? Since I'm about six or seven years old. Right, and so things still 94 happen. years, that's what that right <laughs> Yeah, 93. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. sorry. Don't push it. My, my, <laughs> my math is off. You know, cool. and, and just to go to show, just one more thing about safety. Like, anything yep. can happen at any time. So the other day, I don't know if anybody, a few of you guys followed me on Snapchat. You guys saw the result of a very serious uh, mechanical failure on my truck, my, my big green army truck, which Taylor uses most oh, of the yeah. time. I'm I'm just so used to listening to the radio, so Taylor doesn't care. She likes hopping in this green army truck I got. It's high off the ground. It's made for the U.S. Army in 1986. It's a big. It's called an M108 military truck, 24 volt, six liter, six quarter ton, giant truck from the government. I bought it at an auction for 1,500 bucks, and it's got 50,000 miles on it. Taylor drives it all over upstate. She was driving to a horse riding lesson the other day, and the front drive shaft gave way and flipped and ripped out the whole entire transaxle under the truck. So she calls me in a slight bit of panic on the side of the highway. And she says, I'm on the side of the highway and the truck just backfired. I go, okay, describe the backfire. She said, it was a huge bang. And there was a big burst of smoke out from the back of the truck. And so I'm like, okay, maybe it just backfired. Try and start it again. She goes, it runs fine, but it doesn't move. I'm like, okay, so it wasn't a backfire. What could it have been? She's like, I don't know. It sounded like a backfire. So when the state trooper got there, he gave her the, what he thought was the problem, which was absolutely the problem, that the whole entire transaction has exploded and it looked like it was just a big basket of gears hanging from the underside of the truck. But the force, when, when, I, when I looked at it, took a, I took it all apart and I'm going to put it back together. I, mean, I already have new parts on the way. Um, I said to tell, I go, the force could have like flipped the truck up in the air. Did you feel the truck lift? And she said, yeah. I mean, it, on the Snapchat episode, she was trying to minimize it because her mother was standing right there. She didn't want her mother to know like what serious <laughs> potential injury the truck and her could have had. So if you watch the Snapchat thing, you, you know, she, she just kept saying, well, yeah, there was a little bit of a sound. And I just said, a sound? It must have sounded like a missile went off under the truck. And, <laughs> but she was only like being coy about it because her mother was listening. Anyway, the huge dent under the, the floor pan and, you know, it, but at a moment's notice, little mechanical failure like that could happen to any tool. So you also got to be conscious, mm-hmm. make sure your nuts and bolts are tight. And, you know, and then in my Snapchat, I, I talk about when I took everything apart, there was one bolt that was sticking out almost one full inch out of the, that held the axle, the, uh, the drive shaft in place. It had three others doing the, the work of all four of them, 
But I mean, just again, it just goes to show you, you know, just routine maintenance, which I'm going to be absolutely upfront, which is something I never did on that truck. Now that it's going to cost me about $2,000 to fix it, you, you, you know, you, you bet your buttons. I'm going to make sure that I'm going to be doing a little bit more routine maintenance on that truck because I just took for granted it never had a problem. And then all of a sudden it had a major problem. So, yeah, you know, routine maintenance on tools is really important. <clears throat> you want to make sure that uh, nuts and bolts aren't going to go flying in your face. Always, always use a grinder with the shield on it. I see a lot of guys on YouTube using the grinder without a shield on it. And if that wafer breaks apart, it could not only hurt you, it could hurt somebody in the other side of the room. So it's really important had, that you put your I shield had one on it. I had one explode on me. I had the shield on it, although you couldn't see it on the video. <laughs> but I had one, yeah, just explode while I was making my welding table. And it shot all over the place. And small pieces of it hit me in the face. Luckily, I had on mm-hmm. uh, like glasses, mm-hmm. but I wasn't wearing like a face shield. So No, no. I, I always, if I'm grinding, if I'm like <clears throat> wafer grinding, you know, and people don't never really see this, but that I do it because my face isn't on camera. But I have a full face shield on whenever I use the grinder for a lot of repetitive stuff. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, have you uh, ever had, you're talking about mechanical failure in a tool. Have you ever had a tool completely fail while you were using it in a dangerous capacity? I mean, I've had like bandsaw blades pop off and stuff, which scares me, but it's not terribly dangerous, you know? I mean, I've had stuff fly off of the lathe, you know, I, and mm. uh, I, f- I forget exactly who it was, but there's a guy on the Facebook page who the thing flew off and hit him in the face. He actually has it on camera. Um mm. I, 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 somebody will say in the notes who it was, but, but it's been a while ago. And the, the thing fell off, hit him in the face while he was using the lathe. But I've had stuff fly off the lathe. I've certainly had, uh, you know, uh, that's a panic, boy, when you're making something and all of a sudden everything starts going wobbly and you, mm-hmm. your lathe is at like a high RPM and then it, something shifts and then everything is off balance and your table starts walking across the room and you're trying to figure out how to shut the switch <laughs> off without getting close to it. And, you, you know, you panic and yank the plug out of the wall. That's happened where things have gone off off balance. Uh, and nothing really legitimately with the table saw other than me just sticking my hand in the blade. But, uh, you know, mechanical failure in the way that it won't turn on, which is a real, because you have like a whole bunch of production to do and you have a job due and then your table saw doesn't turn on. And you're fiddling around with it. And that happens sometimes when my, my table saw, my old one was so old that the, the switch would fill up with sawdust and then stop working. But you got to troubleshoot the whole system to figure out where it's not working. You got to take the switch apart, blow it out put it back together and then, okay, that's it. But you know, that takes you, takes you an hour out of your game. And the whole time you're thinking to yourself, if this doesn't start, I have to buy a new one or borrow one or do something to get this job done. You know, that's when that happens. One time I was using, when I had to work outside in my carport, um, I had table saw out there and it's been long enough that I don't remember exactly what I did wrong to cause this, but I was cutting, pushing something through the saw and it bound, but instead of kicking back it kicked forward somehow it shot the piece forward mm-hmm. and i wish i could remember so i could tell people not to do this but i had this in front i was in front of our minivan and this piece shot forward off the table saw and hit the side of the van in like <laughs> the quarter panel and there's a dent still no. today and I, every time i see it i'm reminded <laughs> like the table saw is like a rocket launcher if used yeah. incorrectly you know um, so yeah, and and that's you know kick back is I think the more common thing. Yeah. But I this thing shot forward somehow. Were you cutting? Know. Maybe you were pushing it into the wrong <clears throat> side of the table saw. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think I would have done that. No, because somebody once there was a thread. I don't know where. Maybe you guys were involved in it. And somebody said, "Hey, what is the what is the risk of cutting from the other side of the table saw?" And everyone's like, "Don't do that. You'll throw a piece of yeah. plywood across your room." I don't know. This person had some sort well, of legitimate hey. reason for sticking the wood in the wrong way. Um, and just asked, like, you know, kind of an innocent question, and everybody jumped on them and said, you know, do not do that. Yeah. Well, obviously, you want the blade to pull the wood down to the table. Yeah. And doing coming in from the backside is going to be pushing the wood up away from the table, which... Well, just throw it. Yeah. At whoever's so walking into your shop. Yeah. <laughs> or your face. Or your no. face. Cool. You guys got anything else on safety? No, just... That covers uh, the whole thing. Yeah, no, just it's always ongoing. You gotta be, and (laughs) I'm gonna. I probably shared this story. I'm sure I did, but you know, there was a time. There was a time where I I, glasses were optional for me, and the very moment that no longer was optional was the moment uh, a steel cut nail broke off and hit me directly in my eyeball. And I ran to the wind. I ran to the mirror and I looked in the mirror. I probably said this before. And there was a little tiny slash in the white of my eye, and the blood was trickling out of the the little slash in the white of my eye. And I just said, 
oh my God, how does this get fixed? Because I'm not getting <laughs> stitches in my eyeball, that's for sure. <laughs> and I, I, I was like, what do I do now? I just took like a wet tablecloth, uh, a wet towel, I held it over my eye and I went to my friend who was a doctor nearby and his buddy who actually was an eye doctor was there. And so uh, these two guys looked at my eye and they, they, they said, you know, it's not as bad as it looks. And they put some ointment in my eye and bandaged my eye. So my eye was bandaged for a couple of days. They said, the most important thing you got to worry about is getting an infection in that little cut. So keep hmm. it, it'll heal. So they, they put some ointment in my eye and covered it. But uh, the, the, the eye doctor said, he goes, how did the nail get through your glasses? I said, oh, I wasn't wearing glasses. And he goes, exactly. And I, I was like completely like backed into that naivete. He's like, how did, the, how did the nail get through your glasses? I go, oh, I wasn't wearing glasses. Like as if I didn't realize that that was like the most yeah. like idiotic thing. I didn't even realize it. And so literally from, from that moment on, every time I go into the shop and I put glasses on my face, I remember that cut of my eyeball and how hmm. it could have been a lot worse. I like how your eyeball is open and bleeding and the doctor's like, oh, yeah, it's not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, honestly, the, the cut in my eyeball was about – I probably just cut a couple of blood vessels, honestly. I mean, yeah. uh, what I was – we were restoring the shop that my, my ex had and it was an old Lower East Side storefront and there was wood – embedded in the brick wall with steel cut nails sticking out of them. And I went to bend one nail down to, to get it to a position where I could pry it out. But as soon as I hit it with the hammer, it just broke right off. I was like, oh, so I just broke off like 10 in a row. They just all broke right off. And the last one just shot directly. I'm swinging down. I'm swinging the hammer down to break the nail off to toward the floor, but it shot directly up and hit me in the eye. Like, you know, what are the physics of that? You know, yeah. in a million years, I wouldn't have expected it to happen, but it did. And it just reminded me anything could happen at any time when you're dealing with crazy chaos mechanics. You just don't know what could happen. And uh, so I always wear my glasses from now on, whether it's the ones I'm reading with that I'm looking at, uh, uh, you guys see me wear now or shop glasses. They're either just perfectly clear or, or they're just these. So always, always, always have one. Sometimes you wear two pairs of glasses. I've seen that. That's right. Because yeah. I need extra protection. Um, so even <laughs> even outside of like woodworking and stuff, safety glasses can be important. I was when I was in college one time. I was rewiring a guitar, so I had this guitar opened up, and I was soldering, you know, the, the connections of all the wires together. And Sometimes, you know, when you solder, you'll get drips that extra solder that falls off and it's so hot that it flattens out when it hits a surface if it can't adhere to that surface. So it'll flatten out and when that stuff, and it usually it sticks to the surface, but it can get super flat, super sharp. So I'm, yep. I'm doing this thing. I finished up the guitar, put the, the pick on, the pick guard on, <clears throat> and then I picked up the guitar to look down the neck to make sure that the neck was still straight because I was redoing this whole guitar. And so I picked it up and looked down the neck of the guitar and a fleck of solder Ooh. that I couldn't see fell down the neck into my eye. And Ooh. I immediately, it was like somebody was poking me in the eyeball with a needle over and over and over. Oh, and God. yeah. And it was just this tiny little sharp flat thing. And I went, oh. I went to the bathroom and I could see it sticking out of the side of my eyeball. Oh. And I was, it was big enough that I could, I grabbed it and pulled it out. Oh. But the point being is that's <laughs> electronics work. That is, you know, and granted. Not construction. Was, yeah, it's not. There's no big tools involved. There's no flying debris involved. That was, you know, it, stuff can happen that you just don't expect. So yeah. just expect always. the unexpected. <laughs> that's yeah. really what it's about. Don't look down the neck of a dangerous guitar. I don't want to ever talk about eyeball injuries ever again. Your <laughs> stories, both your stories just made me. <laughs> um, real quick. Before we move on, I want to let everybody know that's listening, please, please, please do not send us photos of your injuries. Yes. <laughs> I don't, don't want to see them. I'm, I'm not yeah. even joking. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've told the story before about how when Jimmy first told me about his pinky injury over Skype, 10 years after it was healed or whatever, I just about <laughs> threw up just from hearing the story. So yeah, please don't send this. I, I just, so you guys know, I have two really good iron jury stories. I may have told them, I don't know, but I'll save them for another time. We're both when I was a little kid and okay. in each eye, one, one of my left eye, one of my right eye, really good. Like both could have blinded well, what, both eyes. One was your brother oh. doing something, right? Yeah. My brother cut me with a razor blade. I was standing behind yeah. him and he was cutting something that oh. gave way. And the razor blade poked me right in the, the side of my eye, like where your tear duct is. I got five stitches from there up. So it cut wow. my upper eyelid. Yeah. Okay. And then another time, you, another time, 
<laughs> I'll tell you now. <laughs> Let's get them all out right now. <laughs> I have a very distinctive scar on like my cheekbone. I'm looking at it and I'm touching it right now. So if you see me, I have a scar that goes through my eyebrow and around my eye orbit. That happened when I was about three or four years old. I picked up a sledgehammer that was up over my head, and then I realized I couldn't ha- hold it in the air long enough, and it fell against mm. my face. So I was a little kid experimenting with sledgehammer. I must have told that story before. So the sledgehammer, the, the circumference of the sledgehammer hit me directly on the orbit of my eye and put a big cut around the whole eyeball, uh, you know, on my cheekbone. And so that scar is still on my, on my left eye. And it's through my eyebrow and then ab- under, above and below my eye. That happened when I was three years old. Wow. Okay, one last story, and this one's not gross, so this will ease out, ease us into our suggestions. When I was in uh, elementary school, this girl was at lunch was trying to be funny, and so she took two peas and she stuck them in her nose, in the nostril, right? And she was just holding them there, and then she got to laughing and snorted, and the peas <laughs> shot up into her nose and got stuck. They got so far up there that they couldn't get them out. She had to go to the hospital and have them like get super tiny tweezers to pull them out. I have yeah, a story. So, as well. don't stick peas up your nose. I have a story. <laughs> So okay, growing up, growing up, I had a pebble driveway, you know, like a bluestone pebble driveway. And my brother's dad made a stick pebbles in my nose because I was the youngest <laughs> boy. So my older brother's dad made a stick. So I stuck like five pebbles up each nostril until they were just like packed at the very bottom of my nostril. And my mother came out and goes, what's going on here? And then my brother's like scattered. And my, I said to my mom, they told me to stuff pebbles up my nose. And she goes, how many pebbles are up your nose? And I go, I don't know, a bunch. <laughs> She panicked, called the doctor. The doctor said, try this. Just shake a plate of pepper in front of his face. See if he sneezes them out. So my mother made me sneeze like 20 times. And I sneezed out like six or seven rocks from my (laughs) nostrils. My goodness. Wow. (laughs) Next week, we'll talk about all the things I swallowed. Oh, awesome. Awesome. All right. Uh, Cool. Well, that's enough stories for this week. Um, (laughs) You guys got any uh, anything cool you've been watching? So there's this YouTube channel I just discovered, I think, last night, and it is called The School of Life. And hmm. it's a bunch of little, uh, their tagline is how to live. And it's a bunch of little, like, animated short films. Um, they like Some of the titles are Self-Esteem, uh, Overcoming Childhood, Who Am I, Open Up. It's just a Great little, some are inspirational, some are educational, uh, emotional type things. Just really good, really well done, entertaining to watch. And they make you feel good after you're done watching them. Hmm. Cool. So I'm going to just talk about two quick things. Uh, On Common Sense, the channel that that I've talked about in the past that my buddy Howard is sort of in charge of. And it's like just life tips. But Howard is a businessman. He's about 45 years old. He's never, ever wanted to, never was interested, but now he is interested in welding. So my friend at Lincoln is going to teach him how to weld and go through some safety steps on the Uncommon Sense page. So go take a look at that. So that's zero to nothing. There's already one up about welding safety. And uh, that's my friend who's our rep at Lincoln who lives in New York, who's going to run that little show. And uh, talk about dog training. If anybody's watched Tosh.0, did you see the guy? His name is Peter Kane. He like loses his cool. He's a dog trainer. And I forget specifically about which video was on the uh, the Tosh.0 episode, but he was featured there. And Taylor and I became interested in his channel because of that Tosh episode. And he's a dog trainer and he's a comedian, and a, but his videos are mostly about dog training. He is a complete wacko. He has crazy opinions, <laughs> mostly liberally bent. So, I mean, I agree with a lot of what he says, but he's a very good dog trainer. His, his message is, is good, but the way he delivers it is very entertaining in, a, in like a crazy New Yorker way. Um, he's very opinionated, but he specifically believes, uh, and I'm telling you this, Bob, he believes in, in, in not training your dog with treats, training your dog with affection, because then your dog will always do anything for food. So hmm. it's something to just, it, Taylor always trained the dogs with food until she watched his channel and she was completely convinced that to train your dog with affection is a much better way because your dog will do things because he wants to do them, not because he wants to eat. Yeah. So Peter that's talks about that. Yeah. So that's Peter Kane. That's the, the YouTube channel I'm, I'm talking about today. I, I've been watching him for years and uh, he's got like five subscribers. <laughs> he's been on and he puts out like five videos a month. It, just people watch him and then just get rubbed the wrong way. But he does have <laughs> a lot to say. That is huh. good stuff. Interesting. Cool. Subscribe. Um, so I have, 
uh, a music in a channel or music in a show. So I, I said a few weeks ago about a new Thrice album, a band that I like. Their album came out today, I think, or yesterday. And I've listened to like two songs on it because I got it right before we started recording. It's really good. So if you like rock, check it out. It's I can't remember the name of the album off the top of my head, but uh, it's called To Be Everywhere Is To Be Nowhere. And it's good. So that, and then uh, the other one is a, you can search this on YouTube, but I don't think it's a particular channel. It's like a segment on some British show that I don't know the name of, but my brother showed me these videos. Um, this woman named Philomena Kunk. You ever heard of Philomena Kunk? She's a, a British lady who does like satire news stuff. And it's very like daily show, like, you know, where they would go interview somebody and they would kind of make fun of the interviewer as they were in doing the interview. It's that. And so she does this, these little segments on things that sound like they would be really interesting. And they're just like ridiculously stupid. There's it's so funny though. Like she explores time one time and she goes and talks to people about what time is and how clocks work. And you just have to watch it because she's, she plays it really deadpan, you know? So um, she's totally being serious, and the people who are being interviewed are looking at her like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> so I have to go check that out. They're funny. Cool. Um, let's see. Before we go, got to thank our Patreon supporters. Uh, Jeremy White, Luis Gonzalez, John Cornwell, Dominic, De- Dominic DeFino, and Make, Build, Modify. They're our top supporters. And them and everybody else, we're super grateful for Patreon support. Thank you. Um, Thank you So all. if you guys want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash making it, and you can support us in any amount that you want there. That would be awesome. We also have T-shirts, which we mm. haven't talked about for a few weeks. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, we have T-shirts for sale. Um, oh. And you can go to makingitpodcast.com slash T-shirt, I think. Mm. <laughs> yes, yes. T-shirt, yes. T-shirts. With a hyphen or without a hyphen, I did all the redirects, and it'll take you to where you need to go. Yeah. So you can find it if you want to find it. It's on our site. Um, Yeah, so you can have a shirt. Uh, Unless you guys got anything else, I guess that's it for this week. Did you spell T-shirt T-E-A-S-H-I-R-T? Because that's how I went. No. I'll make that redirect as soon as we're done. (laughs) We should probably probably also add sweet T-shirt and unsweet T-shirt for the people in the north and the south. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. All right. That's it for this week, guys. We'll uh, see you next time. All right. Thank Love you. you. Love everything.